Hey, good morning. Online, in the room, glad to see you. Have a couple questions for you. How is your soul? Can you sing, can you say, it is well with my soul? I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Uh, we had kind of a quiet day, relatively speaking, yesterday. And our children and their children all came in last weekend, so we had a great celebration last Sunday. You know, Christmas uh, can really trigger a lot of emotions. Some of them are wonderful, and then some of them are not so wonderful, not so good. Are you familiar with the, the song, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day? I really like the Casting Crowns version of that song. That song is based on a poem called Christmas Bells, written by Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, and you know who he is, an American poet that lives in the 1800s. The first three stanzas of the, of the poem go like this. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth and goodwill to men. I thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. And then it seems like Longfellow falls into a pit. The third stanza. And in despair, I bowed my head. There's no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth and goodwill to men. So Longfellow writes this on Christmas Day of 1864, 157 years ago, and clearly he's wrestling with depression as he looks out at his country, our country, embroiled in civil war. There's no peace on earth. Hate is strong, mocks a song of peace on earth. And, and clearly he's making reference to the song that the angels sang, welcoming the birth of Christ as they sang to the shepherds. So he's wrestling with depression as he looks outward, and he's, and he's wrestling with depression as he looks inward. Three and a half years earlier, his wife was severely burned and then died a day later, and Longfellow, in trying to help her in that fire, was severely burned also, and he had really deep scars on his arms, his hands, and his face. On the anniversary of her death in 1861, Longfellow writes this in his journal, how inexpressibly sad are all holidays. I can make no record of these days. Better leave them wrapped in silence. Perhaps someday God will give me peace. On Christmas Day of 1862, Longfellow continues in his grief and he has a very short entry into his journal. He says, a Merry Christmas, say the children, but that's no more for me. There's no journal entry for Christmas 1863. By Christmas 1864, when he writes Christmas Bells, Longfellow is dealing with sorrow upon sorrow. He's still grieving the loss of his wife, but his son joined the Union Army and was then severely injured in a battle in the Civil War. All of these things are just pushing in on Longfellow so hard on that Christmas day of 1864. The Civil War was raging, though there was some hope of better days because Lincoln had just been reelected a few weeks earlier. Yet Longfellow felt despair. There was just so much to deal with from the out and from 
within. And, and as he sat there in his depression, he hears the church bells ringing, pealing, tolling, announcing, celebrating Christ's entry into our world. Hey, there's another poet that really struggled with what was going on around him and inside him. He was struggling with darkness and despair. I call him a poet because he is. We also call him a prophet because he is. He lived a long time ago from 650 BC to about 570 BC. His name is Jeremiah. And Jeremiah grows up in a, in a priestly family in a little village just northeast of Jerusalem. And he, he's often called the weeping prophet because he lives, some, he lives during some of the darkest days of Israel's history and it, it just breaks his heart to see what's going on. He grieves over what was and what could have been, but what is and what will be. Truth was hard to find. It was ignored, it was covered up, it was even despised. Truth was mocked. King Jehoiakim was the king during Jeremiah's days and King Jehoiakim literally burned the word of God in defiance. He would have a portion of the scroll read to him. He didn't like it, so he would take his pocket knife, he would cut it off, and he would literally throw it into the fire in defiance. And during these dark days, some people were killing their own babies, sacrificing them to the god Moloch in the Valley of Hinnom. And the horrible things that happened in the Valley of Hinnom become the source of a Greek concept and Greek word, Gehenna, which, which is the word Jesus uses to describe hell. And so Jeremiah was witnessing hell's influence in his world and sadly even in God's people. Judgment, therefore, is looming large and is going to come in the form of a foreign army from Babylon, and Jeremiah therefore becomes a prophet of doom, and he, he, he just pleads with the people to repent. He warns them to turn back to the way and the will of God. He says this, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it, and you will find rest for your souls. But you said, we will not walk in it. And so this stubborn defiance and resistance on the part of God's people makes life miserable for Jeremiah. His message, which comes straight from the heart of God, causes him ceaseless trouble and turmoil. His family turns against him and betrays him. The priest doesn't like what Jeremiah is saying, so he puts him in stocks. And so Jeremiah becomes the laughing stock of the community, and they had no time for his narrow, judgmental attitudes. The hostility got so bad that finally Jeremiah was thrown into a, a cistern or a pit, a well, that was just full of mud, and he sank deep in to the mud and he was left there to die until some good-hearted soul came and rescued him. But you know what? Jeremiah had a hard time with what was going on and, and in his despair, he complains to God. He even accuses God of deceiving him. He says stuff like this. Why is my pain unending and my wound grievous and incurable? You are like a deceptive brook 
Like a spring that fails, you deceived me, Lord, and I was deceived. You overpowered me and prevailed. I'm ridiculed all day long. Everyone mocks me. Why did I ever come out of the womb to see trouble and sorrow and to end my days in shame? You know, what's interesting, between these uh, wince-worthy, cringe-worthy words and complaints, Jeremiah also at times articulates a great faith in God. He says stuff like this, but the Lord stands beside me like a great warrior. Before him, my persecutors will stumble. They cannot defeat me. They will fail and be thoroughly humiliated. Their dishonor will never be forgotten. Jeremiah, you're kind of up and down, aren't you? Can you relate to that? (laughs) I can. I can. You know, even in the midst of of trouble, Jeremiah finds faith. And in that faith, he finds hope for the future. And he holds out that hope, even for those who are about to be carried off into Babylonian captivity. By, By God's grace, Jeremiah can see through the problems and he can see to the future and and the future is the place of hope and the hope from the future flows backward into the present. And hope's not wishful thinking. Hope is the confident expectation that everything will be okay, that there will be peace on earth and that goodwill will prevail. Jeremiah can see it at times, even in the midst of nearly hopeless situations. And so he shares the hope that he sees as he preaches and prophesies. Judgment is coming for sure. There's no no denying that. But on the other side, there are brighter days ahead. Jeremiah 30, 31, 32, and 33 are what scholars call the book of consolation. and, And they're just full of hopeful words. And these hopeful words spoken by Jeremiah, even while he is being personally held captive, even while Babylon is is attacking Jerusalem. And here's some of the things that he says, even in the midst of the darkest times as he holds out hope. He says, the Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with unfailing kindness. I will build you up again. Then young women will dance and be glad, young men and old as well. I will turn their mourning into gladness. I will give them comfort and joy instead of sorrow. So Jeremiah, he he can say this because something new is coming. It's a a new covenant and it's not like the one that he's living in. It's a new one that promises transformation from the inside out. You know, you cannot legislate transformation. The law is a good teacher, but it has not the power to change. That has to come from within. And this new covenant is one that provides that and promises that. And it provides peace in the midst of problems. It's a covenant that's marked with blessing upon blessing. It's a covenant that comes straight from the heart of God. And so Jeremiah hears what God says and God speaks to and through Jeremiah and he says this in Jeremiah 31, for this new covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after 
those days, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and I will write it on their hearts and I will be their God and they will be my people and no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for because I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Well, there's our core 52 verse of the week. This new covenant promises an intimacy and a fellowship with God like never before. And it's, here's the thing, it's based on the permanent forgiveness of sins. God will remember no more our sins. Ezekiel, the prophet, is a contemporary of Jeremiah. And he also speaks to this kind of thing. He uses different language. In, in Ezekiel 36, Ezekiel says, hey, this is God speaking, and he says, I'm going to clean you up, I'm going to cleanse your iniquities, and then I'm going, to, I'm going to give you a new heart, and I'm going to give you a new attitude, I'm going to give you a new spirit. In fact, I am going to put my spirit in you, and this will allow you and move you to follow me. Well, that's pretty cool. All this is going to happen because of a person who's coming in the future. And Jeremiah calls this person a righteous branch of David. He uses that language in chapter 23, 30, and 33. Hey, we, know, we know who this is. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Jesus is going to bring this new covenant this new covenant will be created in and by the blood of Jesus. The, the writer of Hebrews twice quotes our core verse from Jeremiah 31. And both times he powerfully points to Jesus as the whole key to everything. And so in Hebrews 10 verse 14, which is Sean's favorite verse and, and one of my favorites also, he says this as, as he sets up, Jeremiah 31, for by one sacrifice he's made perfect forever those who are being made holy. And so it's, it's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross that creates this new covenant that Jeremiah is prophesying about. It's this new covenant which is all about Jesus that, that becomes the source of hope. It becomes the source of peace on earth and goodwill to all. It's because the death of Jesus on the cross provides the forgiveness of sins. And so when we turn to him, we turn to that gospel story, in repentance and baptism, our sins are forgiven. He remembers them no more, and, and we become perfect, holy, blameless in his sight. And he gives us his spirit to live inside us. And this allows us to live a new resurrected life. That's empowered by the Spirit. So our baptism reenacts the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, Romans 6. And now, empowered by the Spirit of God, we live out the story of Jesus in our lives. And we love like he loved, and we live like he lived. Well, does that mean then that, that we'll have no problems? You know the answer to that. We still have lots of problems. Lots of trouble. And, and sometimes, it can cause us to go where Longfellow and Jeremiah went, down into the pit. But you know what? 
even in the pit, even in the midst of trouble and turmoil, we have a blessed assurance that God is with us, he's for us, and he will deliver us. And so we can sing, it is well, it is well with my soul. Here's, here's how I look at it. The kingdom of God has started, but it's not yet complete. That, that completion will happen at the second coming of Jesus when the consummation of all things will happen where everything will be made right and then there'll be no more. There'll be no more pain, no more problems, no more disease, no more COVID, no more death, nothing. Everything will be made right. It will literally be paradise and heaven. We're just not there yet though. But we have a foretaste of it as the, as the future backs into the present. And the hope-filled future is partly here. We do have peace. We do have joy. We do have confidence, even in the midst of this mixed up, messed up world. And it's based on the hope that we have that everything will be made right as the new covenant is finally and fully fulfilled. So what, I think the issue for most of how do we manage the in-between time? We, yeah, that's going to happen. But, but here I am right now, struggling with stuff. What do I do? Well, Jeremiah 29, often taken out of context, is really instructive. God essentially says in that chapter, he says, look, you're going to be in Babylon uh, for a while, even decades, but make the most of it. Make the best of it. Enjoy life, build homes, plant gardens, have children. Don't waste away in the pit of despair. Don't waste away with gloom and despair. You don't need to do that. Pray for the peace and the prosperity of Babylon. And know, and know I have plans for you, plans for you to prosper, plans to, to give you hope and a future. I will be with you even in Babylon. And, and when the time is right, I'll bring you out. I'll deliver you. Well, Longfellow on Christmas Day of 1864, I think remembered these concepts as, as the bells continued to toll. After writing that really dark stanza where he says there's no peace and hate is strong and mocks a song, he, he, he continues to hear the bells pealing and tolling and ringing and rhythm and, and he remembers his hope in Christ even in the midst of darkness and he says this then pealed the bells more loud and deep God is not dead nor doth he sleep the wrong will fail the, the right prevail with peace on earth and goodwill to men till ringing singing on its way the world revolved from night to day a voice a chime a chant sublime of peace on earth and goodwill to men Jeremiah had a similar experience a lot of people believe Jeremiah wrote lamentations which are laments in poetic form regarding the destruction of Jerusalem the Babylonians destroyed Jerusalem over a period of years. There were three main 
sieges. The first was 606 BC. That's when Daniel, another contemporary of Jeremiah, is carried off to Babylon. The second siege was 597. That's when Ezekiel and a bunch of other people were carried off to Babylon. And then the final siege was 587, 586. And this is where Jerusalem is basically flattened, including and especially Solomon's temple. It was just horrible. But Jeremiah was there for all of it. He saw it all, and he was devastated by it all. Yet, yet he hangs on in hope. Hope. Lamentations 3 really captures his raw thoughts and, and emotions and become words of encouragement for me and, and for you too, I think. He says this, the thought of my suffering and homelessness is bitter beyond words. I will never forget this awful time as I grieve over my loss. Yet, yet, I still dare to hope when I remember this, the faithful Lord, love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. I say to myself, the Lord is my inheritance. Therefore, I will hope in him. Can I confess something to you? I have been in the pit more times than I wanted over the years. And if I'm not careful, I can fall right back into the pit pretty easily again. I can get there quickly and easily by uh, simply looking at the wrong things and, and thinking about the wrong things. Uh, Corey Ten Boom said, if you look at the world, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. I'm going to tell you, I, I rarely fall into the pit anymore simply because by God's presence in my life, by the power of God's Spirit living within me, I strive to take every thought that comes that is going to take me into the pit and I hold it and say, no, 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 not today. And throw it away. And replace it with thoughts of God's promises, of his power, his presence, and his peace. In other words, I just am reminded of who I am and whose I am. Until the end, there will be wars and rumors of wars. There will be constant challenges to our mental health. Things from without and things from within, we will battle until the very end. But, but, still... We have the hope of better days, a hope of a better day. Until that day arrives, we manage the dark days with hope. It, and it's based on what we think. I want to talk to the men just a second. Beginning January 12th, I'm going to teach a, a seven-week class entitled, As You Think, So You Are. And we're going to take a deep yet practical dive into how we can think better 
and live better by allowing God to renew our minds. So you can sign up, go to the website, slash men, and you'll, you'll find everything you need to, uh, to know and to sign up. I think I've been up here enough, and I think every time I'm up here, I talk about growing up on the farm and all that stuff. So, so anyway, here we go again. For 20 years, I worked with the Mitchell Church of Christ down in Mitchell, and we live on a farm outside of Mitchell. In Mitchell, there are several little churches, and, and one of them is the Methodist Church. And I think it's the only church in town that has a bell tower, and they use it. They Every hour on the hour, they, they toll the bells. But then I think it's at 6 o'clock in the evening, they, they play a, an old familiar hymn with bells. And, and it, always, it always captures my attention if I'm in town and I hear it. And it, and it quickly reminds me of, of, of who I am and whose I am. Well, Eric Kersey, for a long time, was the leader of that little church, and Eric and I became good friends. We had so much in common, and we'd see each other at least once a month, and Eric, very much steeped in his Wesleyan traditions, would ask me, he would say, how's your soul? Well, one time when I was going through a hard time, and he knew it, he pulled me aside. And he looked deep into me and he said, how's your soul? Is it well with your soul? Yeah. I hated the question. <laughs> I finally answered and I said, Yes, it is well with my soul. Sometimes uh, during the dark times, we just have to, we have to pause and, and remember and think and remember some more about who and whose we are. And that's what communion is about, really. It reminds us that we live in a, a new covenant that's just full of hope and it, it all ends well. It all ends well. As we prepare to commune with Christ this morning, I want you to, to hear these words and let them soak in deeply from Hebrews 13. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought up from the dead our Lord Jesus, the, the great shepherd of the sheep, and ratified an eternal covenant with his blood, May this God of peace equip you with all you need for doing his will. May he produce in you, through the power of Jesus Christ, every good thing that is pleasing to him. All glory to him forever and ever. Amen. And I ask you again, how's your soul? Can you sing, it is well? with my soul if you can't as you commune with Christ today figure out why you probably already know but allow God to heal it and if you need to talk to Sean or maybe we'll be around but think deeply about who you can be if you're not already in Christ let me pray.
God, thank you for your promises. May we humbly receive them. And um, we're just amazed at how much you love us. And just the, the thought of you forgiving our sins and drawing us into relationship with you is just so wonderful. May we never forget that. Father, as we commune with Christ today, as we take the bread and the cup, help us really to look deeply within our soul and be able to to sing, it is well. It is well with my soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org slash messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.